1: like to start tonight's twilight zone podcast by just reading a couple of quotes uh, from rod Serling. now these aren't particularly connected to the episode that we'll be discussing tonight walking distance but when i was doing my research for this one i just came across these quotes and they just really stood out to me you know considering they were made 50 years ago they still seem to be really relevant today which I guess is quite typical of the Twilight Zone anyway. You know, the messages within the episodes pretty much still stand up to too, I guess that's why we're still here talking about it. But these quotes were more about the business side of things, the struggle that Rod Serling was having at the time with getting the show made, getting the show out there, that kind of thing. And I'm taking these from a book called Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grams Jr. And first quotes from a 1959 issue of TV Guide, um, which featured a two-page article written by Rod Serling, explaining why he made the series *The Twilight Zone*. And he said, "When Gunsmoke corral[s] an audience, the next season we'll see a herd of imitators, varying in title and star, but painfully similar. Peter Gunn goes off on a caper, and the next season, 14 other actors take out private eye licenses." and the television audience is exposed to a diet of sameness that makes dial switching superfluous. The exciting thing about our medium is its potential. The fact that it doesn't have to be imitative. The horizons of what it can do and where it can go stretch out beyond vision. What it can produce in terms of novelty and ingenuity has barely been scratched. This is a medium that can spread out experimentally to whole new concepts and that's what we're trying to do with the Twilight Zone. We want to tell stories that are different, we want to prove that television, even in its half hour form, can be both commercial and worthwhile. At the same time, perhaps only as a side effect, a point can be made that the fresh and the untried can carry more infinite appeal than a palpable imitation of the already proved. So it just really struck me how uh, how relevant that still is because it's it's a topic that's always coming up, you know, on the internet these days. A the, the lack of originality and so on and the, the struggle of new ideas to get through. So even then, the TV shows were all about the business and despite what a great show The Twilight Zone was, it wasn't safe, it was often in danger of being cancelled. Now, in the November 29th issue of the radio television curriculum of San Jose State College in 1959, their columnist Clarence E. Flick commented, Already the soothsayers in this screwable business are laying wreaths on Rod's show. It's too far out says one, it's a think show and viewers don't want to think says another. And I think Sailing agreed with the sentiment to a degree, he said it's true. The Twilight Zone is a think show, you can't afford to miss a line of dialogue, Without maybe losing the plot. But is this a crime? 90% of TV talks down to the audience. I'm just trying to get TV to take off those trench coats and get the shooter half of those horses. Twilight Zone isn't attempting to uplift or enlighten the viewers, but simply entertain them in a different manner. Hmm, that's a difficult one, The Twilight Zone isn't aiming to uplift or enlighten, that one I'm not too sure about. I mean, many of the shows were uplifting, including Walking Distance, the show we'll be discussing tonight, and enlightening, yeah, there are plenty of those, I think, too. I guess maybe at the time, Sailing was still trying to play it a little smart, not wanting to make the show sound too much like hard work to those people, uh, those naysayers, I guess. So although the ratings weren't perhaps as high as Rod Sailing would have liked, he was still connecting with people. There was a core group of people who were still glad of something different on television. Now there's a story about two and a half thousand pieces of fan mail or more arriving at MGM Studios in those early days. And Rod Sailing actually sat down and wrote short replies to them all. Now how he find the time to do that I'll never know. He was he was apparently working 18 hour days sometimes at that point getting the show together. So I guess all, all of this stuff it just makes me kinda of think, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And in a piece of correspondence with a guy called Nelson Bond who had submitted some short stories to Sailing, Sailing had this to say to him. He said, As to future plans at this moment, they're very iffy. The show seems to have captured a rather large coterie of very loyal and enthusiastic supporters, but to date, the numbers in this group do not constitute success as it's understood in television jargon. So there you go. I just I just found that rather interesting, very reminiscent of fandom nowadays, the the core groups of people that you get. Um, devoted to a television show and so on And, and the struggle of, of creators to get their original content out there Like I say, the, the more things change, the more they stay the same So I hope you found that interesting, I, I certainly did But uh, let's get on to tonight's episode of The Twilight Zone, Walking Distance
0: Martin Sloan, age 36, Occupation, Vice President, Ad Agency In charge of media mm-hmm. This is not just a Sunday drive for Martin Sloan. He perhaps doesn't know it at the time, but it's an exodus. Somewhere up the road, he's looking for sanity. And somewhere up the road, he'll find something else. When we meet
1: Martin Sloan, he's obviously stressed out, very tense, and he takes it out a little on the mechanic that he meets at a gas station that he pulls into to get an oil change. But they're okay, and after the business is taken care of, they, they get to talking a little bit.
2: That's Homewood up ahead, isn't it? Yep, about a mile and a half. I used to live in Homewood. Grew up there, as a matter of fact. I haven't been back in 20, 25 years. 20, 25 years. Yesterday, I just got in the car and drove. I had to get out of New York City. One more board meeting, phone call, report, problem... I'm going to jump right out the window. That's walking distance, isn't it? Yeah, about a mile and a half. Yeah, that's walking distance.
1: I'm going to break from the synopsis for a moment just to mention one of the special features on the DVDs of The Twilight Zone. On this episode there's a Q&A that was held with Rod Saling, where he was specifically talking about this episode with an audience, and it must have been from quite a while later after the episode was made because he mentions at one point in passing an episode of the Night Gallery, I think it was their tearing down Tim Riley's bar, uh, which I'm sure Chris will be covering over there in the Night Gallery podcast. But it's interesting because Rod Serling is actually quite critical of the episode in a lot of ways and the first way being that initial exchange of dialogue with the mechanic To summarise, basically what he says was that it was poor writing to have the character of Martin Sloan spilling his guts like that to the random mechanic that he just met He said that men tend to internalize their discontent rather than let it all out, especially to some random stranger at a gas station. The next scene takes place in a small town drugstore in the town that Martin grew up in, and Sailing said that this would have been a much better, more suitable place to get to know Sloane and what he was about. He would have excised that whole scene with the mechanic and just had the episode start here in the drugstore. Sloan would have walked in and said, Hi, hey, how you doing? Just got into town. I used to live around here, and so on and so on, and just had a mountain of clues build up as to who Martin Sloane was, and then the audience would discover along with Martin that he's actually gone back in time.
2: Hmm. I think that's better. Taste okay? Mm, wonderful. You know, it's funny how many memories you connect with a place. I always thought I've ever came back here. Everything will be all changed. No, nothing recognizable. Instead, it's just as if if I left yesterday. Just as if I'd been away overnight. I almost expect Mr. Wilson to be in the stockroom sleeping... ...just like he always did before he died. It's one of the memories I have. Old man Wilson. God rest his soul, sleeping in his big comfortable chair in the other room. Well, here you are, thanks a lot.
1: So I guess this is where we as the audience do get the revelation that at the end of the scene, Martin has actually gone back in time. But again, Rod Sailing is still very critical of this scene too. His his criticism is that you'll notice Martin is saying things like, Oh, I remember the old man Wilson before he died. Uh, He used to always sleep out the back there and so on. But the guy behind the counter doesn't say, hey, wait a minute, Mr. Wilson isn't dead. He's out, you know, he's out the back asleep. So it seems that everyone in town is just there to facilitate Martin Sloan's story rather than actually being living, breathing characters in their own right. Now Martin Sloan was played by a guy named Gig Young and I like his performance in this scene You can see that to a degree the weight has been lifted from his shoulders when he gets into town And starts to see the, the things that he remembers from a kid Like the ice cream soda that he orders from, uh, from the guy behind the counter So he's really getting that effect that he hoped coming back home would would give him. So Martin wanders into town and he encounters a small boy who I think is actually played by Ron Howard, who'd obviously go on to Happy Days and directing several films, and if that's not him, which I think it is, he's definitely one of the kids in the episode somewhere anyway. Now at one point Martin is speaking to one of the people in the neighbourhood and he's telling her how he carved his name on the bandstand in the park when he was 11 years old and as he looks across there's a boy there, about 11 years old, carving his name in the bandstand. So Martin doesn't actually know yet that he's gone back in time but he goes over to talk to this kid and and it's at this point that the penny drops and he realises that this boy is actually him and he has actually gone back in time. So he does what I guess was inevitable at this point, he goes to his parents house and there they are, his mother and father. And in this scene, Serling wrote that they would appear behind a screen door so that they'd be partially obscured And it would give them a more kind of ghostly, ethereal quality And I think it works, it's quite a haunting scene, very effective But all of a sudden it shifts and it takes a turn for the worse when Martin tries to convince his parents who he actually is That I'm the grown up version of your son So obviously they think he's insane
0: A man can think a lot of thoughts and walk a lot of pavements between afternoon and night. And to a man like Martin Sloan, to whom memory has suddenly become reality, a resolve can come just as clearly and inexorably as stars in a summer night. Martin Sloan is now back in time, and his resolve is to put an acclaim to the past.
1: Strangely for the Twilight Zone, there is that little piece of middle narration by Rod Sailing. I don't actually recall whether this ever happens again it, it doesn't as far as I can remember but I could be wrong on that but it did surprise me because although the show does have an opening and closing narration it's not a narrated show so again in that Q&A Serling freely admits that it's there to hide weaknesses in the narrative and another weakness that he perceives is putting Martin's parents in the story too early because in his words how could a man really function after seeing his parents who've been long dead for years again like that you just couldn't do it you'd be a mess i guess let's put rod sailing's perceived weaknesses of the show aside for now and um, and see what happens next there is a second meeting with his mother and father which again doesn't go well and he tries to tell them that he belongs here that you know this is where he grew up he should be here And again, they think he's sick, they they think he's insane, but at this point he hears the music from the merry-go-round that he remembers from when he was a boy. And suddenly he gets it into his head that he needs to speak to his younger self again. So he runs off to the merry-go-round in the center of town. Now, I don't know about you, but if a madman was saying my child's name and running off into the night to find them, I'd have tackled him to the floor there and then, but we'll let that go. He does find him though, he finds the younger Martin and obviously all that young Martin sees is an adult running onto the merry-go-round trying to find him. So he runs and he jumps off the merry-go-round and as he does he hits his leg. But not only that but we see older Martin suddenly clutching his leg in pain as well. But it's here that as younger Martin gets carried off with his injured leg we hear exactly what the older Martin Sloane wanted to say to him.
2: I only wanted to tell you that this is a wonderful time of life for you. Don't let any of it go by without enjoying it. won't be any more merry-go-rounds. No more cotton candy. I only wanted to tell you that this is the wonderful time for you. Now, here. That's all, Martin. That's all I wanted to tell you. God help me. That's all
1: I wanted to tell you. There's a great feeling of inevitability about this scene and this moment. I think. I mean how else could this play out you go back in time you see your younger self what else is really going to happen if you're trying to integrate yourself back into that life again I mean older Martin's presence here was just upsetting the balance he was undoing the very thing that he treasured so much that the thing that he as an adult, who was sick of living in the fast lane, was trying to get back to. You know, his younger self was still obviously carefree, enjoying the merry-go-round. And all of a sudden, he's having that piece shattered by his older self. And not only does he disrupt it, but he he gets physically injured. And it's an injury that actually lasts him the rest of his life. And it's something that he himself caused. So there's a little paradox there, I guess a little Terminator-like paradox, but um. But while all this was going on, Martin's father had looked through the wallet that Martin had dropped earlier. He'd seen all of his identification, he'd seen all of the dates on his dollar bills, and now he knew that this actually was his son who had somehow come from the future. And thankfully he still had one last piece of fatherly wisdom to give
2: to him. Martin. Yes, You have to leave here. There's no room. There's no place. Do you understand that? I see that now, but I don't understand. Why not? I guess because we only get one chance. Maybe there's only one summer to every customer. That little boy, the one I know, the one who belongs here, this is his summer, just as it was yours once. Don't make him share it. All right. Martin. Is it so bad where you're from? I thought so, Pop. I've been living at a dead run and I was tired. And one day I knew I had to come back here. I had to come back and get on a merry-go-round and eat cotton candy and listen to a band concert. I had to stop and breathe and close my eyes and smell and listen. I guess we all want that. Maybe when you go back, Martin, You'll find that there are merry-go-rounds and band concerts where you are. Maybe you haven't been looking in the right place. You've been looking behind you, Martin. Try looking ahead.
1: So with one last ride on the roundabout, Martin returns to his own time. He goes back to the drugstore and he orders an ice cream soda again, but when the realization really hits home that he's back in his own time, he changes his mind and it's a small thing but I guess it's very symbolic that he's not going to stay living in the past anymore and now he's got that limp that he himself caused to remind him of the damage that that can do. Despite Rod Serling's criticisms of the episode, which incidentally I don't think he was saying that it was a bad episode, just that as he grew as a writer, he thinks he could have done it better. So. Despite that, I'm very fond of Walking Distance, I think it does do exactly what it sets out to do. It gives you that pause for thought about living in the past and not making the most of the present. I can honestly say, if I hadn't have heard that Q&A session, I probably wouldn't have given any of those things that Rod Serling mentioned the second thought. Now I have heard it, I guess I can see where he's coming from, but overall they're definitely not insurmountable ob- obstacles and they don't hinder my enjoyment of the episode in in the slightest. It is funny how two episodes in a row had a similar kind of theme of going back to the time you're happiest, but I think this one had a much more positive and healthy outlook than the 16mm Shrine. I do get the feeling that Martin will go back to his life and make the necessary changes to make sure he really starts to live it now, whereas Barbara Jean from the 16mm Shrine just abandons her life and Even though she went to a place where she was happy, it still felt like a waste of life. I think Gig Young, the actor who played Martin, has an awful lot to do in this episode. He he really anchors the whole thing. He goes from stressed out executive, to slightly more relaxed, to borderline insane when he comes face to face with himself and his parents. And then he finally kind of pulls himself back together and he moves on. Uh, obviously he's now got a lot to think about and reflect on but it does move on and I think Gig Young really does anchor the whole thing he's got so much to do but he's is always believable and despite being that hard-edged executive at the beginning you you really start to feel for him and you feel for the situation because again it is a very real situation I think again it's something that we all sometimes face life even more so now possibly is just a is just so fast paced that we really sometimes wish we could go back to some moments in our life when things were a little bit less hectic. I spoke about how in the episode Where Is Everybody? the idea for the episode did come from Rod Sailing's own life experience. And it's the same with this one too. Rod Sailing said, I was walking on a set at MGM when I was suddenly hit by the similarity of it to my hometown, feeling an overwhelming sense of nostalgia It struck me that all of us have a deep longing to go back. Not to our home as it is today, but as we remember it. It was from from this simple incident that I wove the story walking distance. And then a year and a half later, Sailing was telling how he actually paid a visit to a recreation park where he spent his childhood. And he said, I looked at the merry-go-round, now condemned, overgrown by weeds, and I had that bittersweet recollection of a wondrous time growing up. I must admit I haven't spent much time talking about the music in the twilight zone up until now and there's a good friend of the show Ben who suggested doing a show dedicated to that and it wouldn't surprise me if this was one of the episodes that he was thinking about when he made that suggestion because the score to this one is absolutely phenomenal as well written or well acted or well shot as the episode is I think the score just really raises the whole thing it was written by bernard Herrmann who contributed quite a bit of music to the Twilight Zone and obviously many motion pictures as well like Psycho. In this case it's just a lovely piece, very melancholy, very easy to listen to on its own and I think it's actually been released as part of a compilation CD of Twilight Zone music, Um, so look out for that, you might be able to get hold of it. now. Rod Serling did have a slight disagreement with his producer Buck Houghton about how certain sections of the score should be used, but they settled in in a very gentlemanly fashion. But to keep the air clear, with Bernard Herrmann, he wrote him a letter which said, This is a belated congratulatory tome to acknowledge what is one of the most beautiful music scores I have been privileged to hear, I'm referring to the background music to walking distance. If you can tell me how I can get this on a recording to keep I'd much appreciate it. It is a lovely, sensitive and most inspiring theme. Thank you for lending a great talent to our project. Bernard Herrmann wrote a letter back to Rod Sealing that said, Writing music for Walking Distance afforded me a most stimulating and rewarding experience for the nostalgia of the play lent itself most readily to music and music is always able to communicate most expressively when it assumes an emotional role rather than, as is usual, a descriptive one. It's very rarely that one has an opportunity to write music of a lyric, lyrical temperament. There's one note too to Rod Saling from, from a gentleman called Henry Von Meporgo of the Pacific Coast Club in Los Angeles that I think really encapsulates what a lot of us probably think about the Twilight Zone, especially the last couple of episodes, and it says, The Ida Lupino piece on the aging star who refused to yield to time and projected her wishes and the advertising executive who yearned to recapture his boyhood were just great. You seem to stir and stimulate something that is strange and deep and beautiful and profound in all of us. Something that is marvelous and mysterious and yet which we ordinary people cannot express. The magic of your great talent, Rod, articulate these feelings, making them seem understandable and enable us to better understand ourselves and our friends.
0: Martin Sloan, age 36, vice-president in charge of media. Successful in most things, but not in the one effort that all men try at some time in their lives, trying to go home again. And also, like all men, perhaps there'll be an occasion, maybe a summer night sometime, when he'll look up from what he's doing and listen to the distant music of a calliope and hear the voices and the laughter of the people and the places of his past. And perhaps across his mind there will flit a little errant wish that a man might not have to become old. Never outgrow the parks and the merry-go-rounds of his youth. And he'll smile then too because he'll know it is just an errant wish. Some wisp of memory, not too important really. Some laughing ghosts that cross a man's mind. That are a part of the Twilight Zone.
1: Just one note before I go. Like I mentioned earlier, a good friend of the show, Ben... Uh, he's just had his first child so best wishes to you and your wife and your new arrival come and check us out at the thetwilightzonepodcast.com and you can leave comments there on each show if you like you can also download the podcast dedicated to the Night Gallery one of Rod Sailing's follow-ups to the Twilight Zone uh, and that's by chris brown and he's doing great work over there going from strength to strength and i'm really enjoying it so i do think you should check that out if you'd like to get any words into the podcast you want to send me any feedback that i can read out or you want to comment on any upcoming episodes of the twilight zone so i can slot that into those episodes then you can email me at feedback at the twilight and i hope you'll join me next time for the episode escape clause bye-bye <laughs>